need to vision a community. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Stay Curious Podcast, a podcast where we want to help uh, teach people how to think instead of what to think, and also um, help uh, engender diversity in thought and not division in community here in our little community at Hill City Church where we were recording and also in the wider human community, Richmond and beyond. Um, We are super excited um, today because we have our very first guest. Um, Our guest today is Lisa Kratz Thomas. She is the author of Light in Our Darkness. Um, She is a motivational speaker. Um, And I'm not going to, I won't read off all your accolades. I will let you tell us a little bit about what you do. So Lisa, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor um, and a privilege that anybody would want to hear anything I have to say. And and I mean that um, sincerely, considering where God has brought me from. And um, so I consider it a a real honor. Um, yeah, so I, I do a little writing, I do a little speaking. Um, basically, I've spent, I would say, the last 20 some years of my life dispelling the concept of throwaway lives mm. that some lives are more valuable, some are indispensable, some are not. Um, and I do that through prisoner reentry, uh, addiction recovery, and pro life. So in, I go into the prisons, I do a re-entry seminar, I do that in about 19 different prisons. It's my 10th year, mm-hmm. wow, with Department of Corrections. Um, and I speak at various um, recovery centers and fundraisers for pregnancy centers. So I get an opportunity to talk to a lot of people and um, be able to use my testimony where God has brought me from to just you know, bring hope to others that that you're never too far gone for for God to touch you. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> excuse me. The, one of the themes we found for this um, series that we're doing on abortion specifically, but also in the podcast at large, is trying to have like a holistic view of anything that we talk about, whether it's race or um, reproductive stuff or um, uh, sexuality or media, we try to, you know, get the whole picture. And it really sounds like that you're living that out in, in sort of the different ways that you're engaging people, both with the motivational speaking and with your books. So that's awesome. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about sort of your journey and how you, you came to, to where you're at now? I would love to. Um, it's definitely not who I am, but who he is. Um, uh, so, you know, just like a typical teenager, I started using and drinking, and uh, it escalated and um, found myself as a young woman uh, addicted to alcohol and to crack cocaine, um, which led me to a life of um, incarceration and prostitution and homelessness and and most of all, hopelessness. And um, I served, you know, time behind bars, which... Um, People could say, oh my gosh, that's like the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Uh, no, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, because it, it, it God tucked me away in a place where it gave me an opportunity to really um, to be quiet with myself and to be off the street. And uh, so I was actively addicted for about 10 to 12 years. Um, and during that time, uh, I also had multiple abortions. And so that's also part of my story. Um, And weaving all those things together, um, really the statistics are that I shouldn't be here today. I mean, seriously. Um, And and not only that, but I am healthy. 
Um, I there, you know, I'm 60 years old, and I I can keep up with the best of them. And I say that because people think when you have that kind of life that you can't be restored. And not only will he restore you, but he will give you more than was taken. So um, that's kind of what led me down this path of looking at people. I'm one of those people. I'm the person standing on the corner, you know, on Chamberlain Street begging for a quarter. I'm I'm the girl who is standing on the corner selling her body for $20. Um, I'm, I'm the person who's scared to death who's walking into an abortion clinic. So those things really gave me an opportunity to go back and to be helpful and to others and to show them there is hope and there is a way out. That's awesome. And <clears throat> just so everybody knows, John's here. <laughs> I am here. I am here. Um, <clears throat> that's really cool. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. It's um, uh, really good to hear, you know, one of the things that we try to do on the podcast and in our community is just hear people's perspectives, especially on things like abortion, where right now there's a lot of um, legislation going on and people, a lot of debates, a lot of Facebook arguing, all of that stuff. And what gets lost and what you've really highlighted, I think, just now is people. Like you... The reason you do what you do, and we'll get into that more, is because you were that person, you know, and you understand the the humanity behind these, what become debates about data. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the impersonal side of, well, what's good for society? And, well, the data says this, and da, da, da. we get into all that, and it's like, there are people, you know, real people. And, and so that's, you know, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on, but um, also one of the reasons I want to thank you for being here. Um, so thanks so much for, for sharing that. Um, I think I would like to know, because sort of, well, I would love to know. So I come from a, a family uh, of uh, sort of recovery. My older brother uh, was a heroin addict, and so I went to like Al-Anon as a kid to, and all that stuff. So I'm super fascinated in that. I'm really interested in prison reform. But today, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about um, you um, sort of identifying yourself as pro-life, what that means to you. Because again, to a lot of people, that just means, okay, so we know what box she ticks on a ballot, right? Um, I want to know what that means to you. And I want to know how your experience led you to that definition of pro-life. So maybe give me a definition of what that means to you, and then give me the human, uh, if you can, give me sort of the human aspect of how you got to that conclusion. So pro-life means to me, really every every life has intrinsic value, and it's not our decision as to how valuable a person is, and every person has a right to live. And so I would say that for me, pro-life means life. That's exactly what it means, giving someone the option to live their life. So saying that, how did I get to be pro-life? Um, it was after being pro-choice for many, many years. And after having multiple abortions and after carrying the shame and the pain and the turmoil, um, and the methods of <laughs> escape and um, destroyed relationships uh, and nightmares and depression because of those abortions. So 
that's my conception of what pro-life is. It is standing for life from the womb to the tomb. I mean, if you're a baby in the womb who's helpless, or if you are, uh, you know, an elderly person in a nursing home. I I was reading today, um, it was in Psalm 68, and it said that, you know, the Lord is a father to the fatherless. He provides um, refuge for those who are solitary, and he puts desolates in home. And I thought, you know, for me, life is all about um, living it to its fullest and allowing God to be God and for me to follow those things that God has set out for me, for my destiny. Okay, cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. That was a very good definition and also a good uh, story of how you got there. I had a question, but um, John, did you, I saw you jot something down. Did you have something to add? Yeah, you know, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, and when you think about your own story and how that's come into play and obviously your personal experiences and and you hear people that maybe have similar stories, right? But they come out on the other side of in particular abortion, we like addiction, all those, like just in particular uh, on the abortion side, what do you feel like, is it just simply, because I've, I've heard um, like Christians that share common faith in Jesus and have had abortions and um, not your exact story, but something similar. But what is it that you feel like um, is that separator? Because some folks choose like i'm gonna be on the pro-choice side of this and then yourself you chose on the pro-life side so what do you think that or what have you experienced that would say like well it seems like they go this way or like is there some kind of differentiator there that you can think of well i think there's a couple things and um this is from my own personal experience but it's also from talking to a lot of people about this um one is I would ask the woman how far out they are from their abortion because it took me years to get in touch with what really happened and what I really did. Um, number two, I would have to, and this is not judgmental in any way, but I'm, I, I know for me, and I think you mentioned this in one of your sermons one time about we don't know what we didn't know. I mean, you know, when we when we level this thing out, I, I there was no sonogram available to me um, when I had abortions. They they weren't available. Now I'm not saying that that's a reason, but that was part of this history. I didn't know then what I know now, and so I think that as we get to know God, and the closer we get to God. And the more intimate we become with him, we start to take on his heart. And when we, listen, we have all the knowledge in the world. We have worldly knowledge and we've got, we've got wisdom that comes from God. And the more time and the closer and more intimate my relationship with God became, the more I could hear the Holy Spirit. And I think what happens is when we listen to too many things in the world, we neglect those things that God is saying to us. So I would say that um, for those women who feel that having an abortion was okay, 
um, post if they're post abortive. Um, I would say to give it. I would want to know how much time. Um, maybe talk with them about their relationship with God. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other factors. Like I look at my life and I think, okay, look, I started drinking when I was 14. I didn't have an abortion at 14. I don't know, maybe if I had not had an abortion at 19, maybe my drinking and my addiction would not have escalated because I can tell you, I used those things to suppress every time a real feeling, every time something would come up in me, I was going to find something, whether it was booze, sex, whatever it was, to push that thing down. And so I would ask, I would try to find out, you know, what are those things going on in your life? Then... For me, this really never was a problem. You know, I was thinking about this today. I, I worked um, in, as a secretary before my husband and I got married. And I remember going in and talking to my boss. And he was pro-life and I was pro-choice at the time. And he said to me, he said, well, he said, you know, you may change your mind when you have a child. Hmm. Well, we couldn't get pregnant for three years. And I can tell you, every month, I, I, I heard in my psyche, well, you had your chance. And so I would say that that's another question that I would ask is, do you have children? Has it been difficult for you to have children? And, and, and those are just personal things. And, and it's not, here's the thing. It's not for me, this, this is a hard thing to say. I, I am my brother's keeper. I do have to stand for what I believe because, you know, Jesus died because he would rather die than to, to go into eternity without us. And so as a Christian, I look at the sacrifice that was made for life, and I can't hardly think that he's okay with this. And not only is he not okay with it, but he gave us a book. He gave us an instruction manual. Not to hurt us, not to put us in, in handcuffs. You can't do that. It's not good for you. But to give us the best. To give us the best. And so I know that's a long answer to a short question, but there are no, there, there's really no stead and fast answer to that. But those are the things that, that, that come to me in, in my spirit when I talk with someone who's on the opposite end of the spectrum. And how do you feel, you know, Matt and I just, you know, on the episode before this had a long conversation of just like different perspectives, you know, and uh, for both Matt and I, we both passionately love Jesus, you know, and, um, but have just different perspectives on some of this stuff. And then I I would, we kind of joked around that we actually agree on really a large chunk of everything on this topic, but where do you think, or what would you say to, um, kind of almost both sides of this, like, because there seems to be this, not seems, there is this incredible divide on this conversation. And, but what I find like really fascinating is a lot of times there's there's a big divide within the church with Christians. And so like, what do you think about that? And like, what are some things that for you, you wish maybe each side or I hate we just I hate saying sides but you know each each kind of perspective like what are some things that you wish that like both would take into consideration uh, around this well first of all it's not a political issue number one I I have you know hold on I've, can you say that again it is not a political <laughs> issue thank you Lisa it is a heart issue 
Interesting. It is a heart issue. Um, because, see, I, I look at it this way. The, again, it goes back to we don't know what we know sometimes until after. Let's take slavery, for example. Um, you know, we as a country accepted slavery for hundreds of years. We accepted that black people were three-fifths of a person. Now, a hundred years, two hundred years later, we look back and we think, what were we thinking? I mean, how could we have been so tainted? And so that's that's one of the things about abortion. I I think too that, you know, with video games, with all these things that desensitize us. Um, living in, in, you know, I live on a very diverse side of Richmond, and I can tell you, living in that area, um, talking to different people whose grandsons have been murdered on the street, it, there's almost this, not that they don't care, but for, for their emotional protection, they've put up this wall. So when we think about abortion, we have to think about it's 60 million Babies who are dead because they were an inconvenience. And that is statistically proven. (laughs) It's emotionally proven. Um, And so I, I have to say that, you know, when we look at this governmental, political, this whole thing, we have to go back to, as I as I mentioned earlier, that we have divine knowledge and you know, what is God saying to you? What does God feel about life? How valuable is it to him? We're Christians. And, you know, my biggest desire is to see everybody have eternal life. That's my biggest desire. That's why I'm on this earth. Um, And so I, I just feel that, that, you know, when we look back and we think about the number of people who we're not given the opportunity to live, I think we're going to look at things differently. That's good. Thanks. Um, So I had a question. Uh, You mentioned a couple of times that you kind of came from a pro-choice stance and moved into a pro-life stance. And I kind of want to ask you the same question, but reversed. What I asked you what pro-life means to you now. What did pro-choice mean to you then? I guess like where was your... Were you super cerebral about it, or was it more of an experiential thing? Like, can you try to put yourself into, you know, back into Lisa's shoes then, and tell me what was, what did it mean to you? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, it I didn't even know the term pro-choice. Um, I knew that I found myself in five unwanted pregnancies, and. Um, I didn't want the responsibility. Uh, and and so choice was I could walk into a clinic and for $125 with very few questions asked, I could have an abortion. It would be eliminated and I wouldn't have to worry about it. So it really wasn't. I think that's important um, because terminology is something we talk about a lot and something I'm very interested in. It wasn't even a term. It wasn't a political ideology or a camp. It was really just like, my experience is that I would like for abortion to be legal because it assisted or, or you know, like because I d- did it and I feel like at the time you felt like it, I needed it and I got it. 
Um, and then I really like what you said about distance. Like the first thing you would ask a woman is, well, when, and like, have you had some distance? I think that's fascinating, but I think that's really important for people to hear. Um, especially as we think through, so, you know, someone who's had an abortion or you find out somebody had an abortion, because I think something that on all perspectives, no matter where you kind of come at this problem, we all seem to be saying honesty. We talked about it a little off mic um, before that honesty is such a big deal for everybody. Be like, be honest. And one of the things that I think the church, capital T, capital C, the church, you know, Catholic church, Baptist church, Protestant church, whatever has messed up is the shame part because the shame keeps you from being honest. Um, and so when a, we should always promote and make people feel comfortable being honest by, and like, what a blessing for me it's been in my life to have somebody come and, and say they were considering it or that they'd had one and wanted to know my thoughts on it. I've just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you even shared that with me. But as people think through how they're going to react and how they can make people comfortable with being honest about this, this issue, I think, um, that's really one of the things is like knowing what are my follow-up questions regardless of you know where you you know wh- wherever you land on it or whatever and it's also important for them to know that they may have made that decision without all the facts absolutely you know um good or bad like we need to keep an, i mentioned in an earlier episode so my wife is uh was a birth doula for many years and she found out how how um frighteningly ignorant most women were empowered you know, women who are high-powered jobs and didn't know about how their stuff worked. (laughs) You know, just like we're just learning about how it all worked, you know? Um, So I think a big takeaway from that um, is honesty and education. Um, I know you mentioned earlier, was there that you you had some sort of like facts that you wanted to share or things that you felt like gave perspective? Um, I wanted to give you a chance to do that if that's still something. Yeah, I would love to talk about that. So so as when we opened up, you you talked about my book, Light in Our Darkness. And uh, I wrote that book with a friend, Kathy Gray, who grew up in a very uh, legalistic religious environment who was really addicted to comparison and perfectionism. And we wrote this book about... um, about how God comes into your darkness and brings you out. And it's my story, her story, and the story of Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was who is coined the abortion king. Um, but I want to back up a little bit from that. And everything I'm going to talk about is in my book. But, you know, when we, when we talk about um, the origins of abortion, there's a couple things that, that go in historical sequence that I was totally unaware of, that most people today are totally aware of. In fact, when I go and speak at pregnancy center galas, which are predominantly pro-life, of course, I ask the question, has anybody ever heard the name Dr. Bernard Nathanson? Maybe one or two people will raise their hand. And um, so I, I realize how important it is to try to educate people in a short period of time. So here, here's how this thing folds out. Um, Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. She also shaped the eugenics movement called the Negro Project in the early 1930s and 1940s in America. Margaret Sanger wrote, we do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negroes at any level. Uh, We don't want anyone knowing. And if anybody knows, 
We will go to the minister and we will have the minister talk to those rebellious people. She said with an, on an interview with Mike Wallace, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have a disease from their parents, that have no chance in this world to be human beings practically, delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. To me, this is the greatest sin of all. Now, that was Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. In walks um, Roe v. Wade. How did it get here? What paved the road for that? In, 19, in the 1970s, there was an organization called NARAL, which still exists today. It's the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws. It was the National Aborts, Abortion Rights Action League. And it was founded by Lawrence Later, who was a personal friend of Margaret Sanger, and Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who was a prominent OBGYN in New York. Okay, so here we have the New York abortion on demand. The laws were changed by NARAL. Who was NARAL? It was run by Lawrence Later, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who had roots with Margaret Sanger. Okay, so did you know this also? In the 1960s, the women's lib movement did not believe in abortion at all they didn't believe in it so they these two men got betty for dan who's a big women's liver in and said hey look let us share some facts with you well what they did was they sat around the table a bunch of men uh, boys club and they said okay we've got to create a marketing strategy for abortion lawrence later wanted it because of eugenics dr bernard nathanson was an OBGYN, and he saw poor underprivileged minority women coming into New York hospitals. White women could get abortions, but they couldn't. So his, his motive was different. They sat around and they created a marketing strategy. And some of the slogans, and Bernard Nathanson says it in his book, Hand of God, he said, we created sexy slogans like, hey, my, my body, my right, and it's a woman's right to choose. So Bernard Nathanson, ran the largest abortion clinic in the Western Hemisphere. He oversaw 75,000 abortions, including an abortion of his own son. Bernard Nathanson, later in life, converted to Catholicism and became unequivocally pro-life. So I want to read just something that he wrote to help people understand <laughs> how this whole I mean this is when you really start understanding the basis of how some of this stuff got pushed into the media and into our thinking in his article confessions of an ex-abortionist Nathanson wrote we persuaded the media that the cause of permissive abortion was a liberated enlightened sophisticated one knowing that if the true poll were taken we would be soundly defeated we simply fabricated the results of fictional polls. We announced to the media that we had taken polls and 60% of Americans were in favor of permissive abortion. This is a tactic of the self-fulfilling lie, and few people want to be in the minority. One statistic Nathanson later admitted was an outright lie, was that the, and it was mentioned earlier, that 10,000 women in America die each year from botched abortions, when in reality, it was 200 to 250. Now, when we read that, we can see that there was, there was a premise here, a marketing premise, 
you know, you hear something long enough and often enough, and it becomes truth to you. And and Bernard Nathanson, and he wrote two two or three different books, but Hand of God is his most um, well known. If you want to call two people in a group of five hundred <laughs> pro lifers well known, um, but he talks about how he realized they were doing operations on the fetus on one floor, and they were aborting. This, the fetus at the same age for no reason whatsoever on the board on the floor above and he said in his expert opinion in all the abortions that he did that he never now this is a strong statement he never came across a situation where a mother's health was in jeopardy and he needed to perform an abortion so the reason I say this is he didn't change his mind until he saw the sonogram when he saw the sonogram, he realized, I have two patients in the room, the mother and the child. I did not know. I never saw a sonogram until I was pregnant with my first child, with my husband, my daughter, who, who is alive and well. But my, my, when I was pregnant those five times when I aborted those babies, I was told by the women's movement that they were a clump of tissue in a mass of cells, that there was no life there. And today, we see still how this, these, these things that were fabricated were, are perpetuated in our society. So I think that when I found this out, it, it really kind of blew my mind. And if you go back, everything I told you is absolutely documented and researched. It's not a matter of opinion. Um, it, is, it is very sad that we are manipulated as society, Christians, just human beings to believe something and 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 the and the reason is not forthwith it's it's a totally different reason it's for money it's for power uh it's for racial issues so i i wanted to get that out there because it's really quite interesting when you when you research it back it kind of connects with what we were talking about with slavery in my mind anyway you know obviously abortion has been around since the beginning of time right like it's it goes way, way back. Mm-hmm. And I know it's technically different now in how it's procedurally done. Um, but, you know, we've got ancient documents talking about, you know, abortion and stuff. Uh, how do you reconcile for you, uh, you know, theologically speaking, when we look at, say, Old Testament passages, right? Like the kind of the classic, you knew me in the womb, my innermost parts, you know, and some others that from... Judaism's point of view, personhood didn't start till the crowning of the baby, right? Like, so that was like, even still today, the majority of Jewish folks are pro-choice, you know? And so, um, so that's like an, an element to, um, theologically. And then when we look at like church history, it's always been blended, like in terms of personhood and what is life. Like it's, it's up from the early church writers like Tertullian and Justin Martyr, and um, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of a bunch of them. But like they're like they were in different places throughout church history, and then even you know even through now, it still feels a little bit like that. You know, where like man, there's still some of this where it's like a personhood thing, I guess. Where, but for you, like, how do you reconcile some of that? As is it like just hey, science has proven different things than back then, or 
is it that maybe people view personhood differently? I don't know. But like for you, how do you, you know, think through some of those things? So as a Christian, um, most Christians believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, kind of like our instruction manual, if you will. And God's pretty clear about making an assumption uh, in our opinions. In Revelation 3, he says, either be hot or be cold, or I'll spit you from my mouth. So I think what he's saying is, take a side, number one. Take a side. This middle ground is really not where he wants us to be. And you say, well, how am I supposed to take a side? Well, when we look into the Word of God, he, there's answers in the Bible for everything. So when we look into that, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, we talked about Jeremiah 3, that you know, you were knit in your mother's womb, you were consecrated. So, and then for people who, who have maybe, they don't feel that the Old Testament is as relevant as the New Testament. I'm not one of those people, but there are people who believe that. In Galatians, it says, he who set me apart before I was born, and he called me by his grace. So again, he's speaking to that baby in the womb. That baby has, is, is a person as far as how God speaks to it. Then ultimately, as Christians, we believe that Jesus was born, he died, he rose again, and he gave us the opportunity for eternal life. Now, Jesus was conceived by the Virgin Mary. So when was Jesus Jesus? Was Jesus Jesus when he was conceived? Was Jesus Jesus as a Jew? Um, uh, was it when he was crowning? Was it when he was born? Um, I think Jesus has always been Jesus. So I think this really speaks to the idea of what personhood really is. Now, if we look at the total opposite side, maybe not opposite. I mean, God's really in control of whether it's science or scripture. But so let's look at it this way, just from a purely scientific point of view. So let's say that there is a bank robbery. The guy wears a mask. Nobody has any idea who this person is. Law enforcement comes in, they set up a perimeter, and they're looking for evidence that would identify this person. What are the two most prominent pieces of evidence that they would be looking for? DNA and fingerprints. These are indigenous to a person. They are, they are unique unto each individual. Well, science also says that DNA is established at conception. Fingerprints are formed anywhere from eight weeks to three months. So if that baby was born at eight weeks to three months and could survive, it would be identified by its DNA, which was identified at conception, and its fingerprints which came about within three weeks. So when we look at that, you know, and, and of course we can look at all different things as far as does a does a, uh, a baby in the womb feel pain? Well, yes, it does. Uh, I talked about Bernard Nathanson. He did a, a, um, a video, The Silent Scream. It showed the baby coiling away from the abortion tools. So around the same time period, three months, baby, their whole... Um, uh, you know, system is created and and it coils away from pain. The other thing that that I think that we have to look at too is that when we look at personhood, it's probably it, it's I think it's defined as 
being a member of the human race. It's not defined by your development or your um, your value or your intelligence. It's just being a member of the human race. <clears throat> so personhood is um, our humanity. And <laughs> look, our humanity is not determined by how we were conceived. I mean, just because my parents lit a couple candles and played some romantic music doesn't make me any more valuable than the man or woman who was conceived through rape. We all have intrinsic value because we are people. And, and you know, when we look through this whole idea of um, it's my body, it's, it's my right, um, that's true, and it, but it only goes so far. I mean, just take something as simple as... Um, banning smoking. You can't smoke in hospitals, on hospital grounds. You can't smoke in um, any restaurant. They, there's perimeters to, to where people can smoke. And they're not saying you can't smoke, but you can't smoke here because what you're doing to your body is secondhand. You know, that smoke is affecting someone else's body. So I think the real question is whose body are we talking about when it comes to abortion? Which person is it that we are um, identifying? Do you think, um, what's something for you when you look at the pro-life movement as a whole, you just wish they did better? Well, you know, again, that's, that's a difficult question because I think that people are so passionate about this and... Um, I would say that pro-life, the church, and us Christians, um, I think the the main thing that we can do better is what we're doing now, is opening up a space where a woman feels safe and um, not judged for coming to talk about the fact that she's either had an abortion or that she's considering it. I mean, I can't imagine how it would be for, let's say, a college girl who gets pregnant and thinks that, you know, she may want to terminate her pregnancy. And I just want to talk to my pastor about it. Pfft, really? I mean, I'm not trying to be cynical, but that that is just not something that comes in their mind. Sure. Yeah. And so, so I think we can do much better by creating an environment that says, look, God is more concerned about righteousness than what you did wrong. And and that's why, I mean, I'm living proof of that. I mean, I'm living proof of that. You are. I mean, we all are. We've all done something that God has forgiven and said, look, that's okay, honey. That That is okay because I have something much better for you. So I I believe that that is, that is really important. And how do we do that? But through conversation. And by opening it up and opening ourselves up, because it puts us in a situation where it's like, oh my gosh, you won't believe what they're talking about down there. And, you know, he's for it and she's against it. I mean, and we just have to trust that God's going to, you know, use this to the utmost and take it to its furthest extent for it to be powerful, this this ability to be transparent. And we just have to trust that God's going to you know, use this to the utmost and take it to its furthest extent for it to be powerful, this this ability be, to be transparent. Um, <clears throat> I have 
uh, a thought or something I'm very curious about uh, concerning part of your story. Um, I can hear in my head. So one of the exercises we do on here all the time is try to hear, like have the two sides in our head, you know, Um, and I can kind of hear in my head somebody responding to your story all the way through with somebody who's pro-choice saying, well, if you hadn't had the choice to have the abortions when you did, uh, you would have, I don't know, ended up another alcoholic mother or or you wouldn't have had the space to like get to, like you were saying, it's the, the, the space between the, the abortion and the, and the like realization of, oh my gosh, you know, um, I think differently about this. If somebody says that to you and they never will, it's a hypothetical, right? Um, if somebody says that to you, what is it, what is your response there? If, if their response to your story is kind of like, yeah, but if you hadn't been able to get, uh, you know, whatever clean, safe abortion, I'm using air quotes, um, then you would have never been able to like experience the personal growth, so on and so forth, and then been to where you are today. Well, I don't think an abortion is something that makes you grow. I think it's something that damages you for eternity. Um, I know I've been forgiven, and I, I, I know that God is a God of righteousness, and I know that he takes my mistakes and puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. Thank you, Lord, okay? Um, because abortion is only one of those things. But, but I, I take it very seriously, what I, you know, what I did, and, and, it, and it weighs heavy on my heart. Because I would say to that person, you don't know what the outcome would be. Um, you know, I, I've worked with women for a long time. Um, I, I ran a home in Fredericksburg, for a transitional home for women for nine years that were reentering from incarceration. And um, I can tell you, you know, I, I'd get some of those girls in there and I would be like, they are never going to make it. I don't care what anybody says, they are never going to make it. And I'll tell you what, I mean, it almost brings me to tears because I can just see the faces of some of these girls that had no chance. But God, love covers a multitude of sins. And when you put people in an environment of success, look, whatever we focus on, that's what we empower. And so, so... You know, I, I I can't answer the question: Would my would I have been another alcoholic mom, and 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 the kid would have been, you know, um, up for in foster care? I don't know, but neither do they. But you know, the thing is, today I know the one who does know, and I know that his heart is for us to live well. And so, um, I I would say that. The pain and the turmoil that I found my life in for, I I would say, a good 15 years of solid turmoil, um, that that was not something that motivated me to be pro-life. I can tell you what changed that was when I couldn't get pregnant. My husband and I tried for three years. And, you know, I can remember laying on the floor and just crying out to God and just saying, I am so sorry for what I've done. You know, I never dealt with it. I kept, even then, I pushed these abortions way underneath. And, um, because I thought, oh, it's, you know, I, I mean, 
to tell you the truth, there were times I almost felt like I took someone else to the abortion clinic, Hmm. that it wasn't me. I mean, our mind can do some unbelievable things. And the beauty of, of the love of God is that he he allows you to go through things when you can handle them. I had already gone through 12-step recovery and I had done this searching moral inventory of myself and I'd found out some things about myself. So I was ready to deal with the, um, you know, the, the abortions that I had and what they had done in my life. And when I was laying on the floor that day, I was just crying out to God and I said, I want to be a mother more than anything in my life, God. And I'm so sorry. Just help me. Help me. Because I'm telling you, there was something in me. Nobody told me. I didn't know the difference of pro-life. Listen, I wanted to be a mother to a child so bad. And, and, And so that's the thing that changed me. And, you know, since that time, I've gone back and I've, I've named my five children and I've I got a love letter from God that said, Lisa, your children are in heaven with me. They love you and so do I. And they're awaiting the arrival of their earthly mother. And so I've been able to feel those feelings. And, you know, I'm talking to anybody, any woman right now, and any man who has either been through an abortion uh, people who are considering it, I don't condemn you, but I ask you to please give it consideration. Just give it consideration. Do your due, due diligence because you may find another way. Thank you. That was really good. Um, really quickly, and if we run too long, I can edit it. Can you... Uh, quickly, and this seems like we're going off topic, but can you quickly explain to me inventory? I know about it from mm-hmm. being in recovery culture, but explain moral inventory to me real quick. Sure, uh, and I think it does line up with it this does. very <laughs> much. Um, moral inventory. So, so you know, for me, I had to figure out why why was I homeless and willing to give up everything to stay high? What was it in me that was driving me to do that? And so. A moral inventory, I had to sit down and I had to write a list of resentments, a list of my faults, a list of my fears, and a list of my inappropriate sexual um, actions. And I wrote those things out. Who am I mad at? Why am I mad at them? And what did it affect in me? And it could be something as simple as I was mad at the police. I rebelled against authority because they stopped me from being able to buy drugs. Uh, I was mad at my third grade teacher because she said I was stupid and, and, and it affected the way I thought about things. But what happened in this inventory was I got to see my side. What was my responsibility and what was others' responsibility? And I was able to come before God and to say, here it is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I was, and and so those things that, that I was carrying, because like, you know, most times when you're an addict and, 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 you know, there is a large percentage of women who have abortions that are drug addicts. So, so we are speaking in the same realm, but most times um, when 
Uh, I lost my train of thought. You have to cut this out. I don't know what the heck I was going to say. Anyway. Um, Well, I wanted you to talk through inventory real quick because I think a big takeaway from this for me is, again, there's the voices in my head, right? Too many voices in my head. So if you're listening to this and you're just thinking, you're just like, how dare she? I don't agree at all. Whatever. How dare she talk about Margaret Sanger that way? Whatever. And that's totally fine. Um, or if you're listening, you're like, preach, Lisa, tell them the truth. Regardless of which way you may be feeling, or hopefully you're somewhere in the middle. That's what that's our goal. Um, take an inventory. That That's all, like, really, that's all we're asking with all of this open conversation is just, like, think about what you're thinking. Like, don't just take a side. You know, it took you years and all of this, spirit, like, recovery and all of this spiritual and then not being able to have a baby, like, all of this stuff to, like, come to this very, you know, this position, this very solid, uh, not position, but sort of life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a mistake for everyone is to try to forego that, you know, and that's a f- mistake that you you feel led you to abortion where you're just like, I just want to forego this. And for other people, um, they become angry and alienated because of their beliefs, because they just want to forego the inventory. Mm-hmm. And I really want people to take that away, because I think that that doesn't just overlap with this issue i think that that's something from recovery culture that overlaps with everything yeah i would agree with that that's like a you know we we talked about in the episode before this that there are a lot of things to wrestle with politically and scientifically and biologically and all of those things and uh and we we were even commenting how we just feel like people just don't like they don't actually think through anything they don't actually to your point i just I mean, I'm just sitting there listening to your story and I'm thinking to myself, man, like how many people are like sitting in something or making decisions that they, they actually won't know until another decade from now or 15 years from now to like, oh, that's the perspective I needed, you know, and then and to be along in that process and to continue to think. And so I think that's such, such a beautiful thing about the inventory piece and to begin thinking through some of this stuff on a little deeper level because we can get caught up. We're Matt and I are probably worst offenders at this, but we get caught up in the minutia of things and the discussion of things and, and everything to that. And some of those things are important because you got to flesh them out conversationally. Um, but I just appreciate what you've been sharing with us and challenging with us. I'm like, I've been really challenged even thinking about like some parts of your story and, and everything too, and my own thinking and, and everything. And, you know, I am, I fall on the life side of things for me. I end up concentrating a lot on, just life in general. and But I love the idea of this inventory piece because not only with abortion, but every area of life, we got to start thinking through mm-hmm. these things and, and how we process everything. So thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, and it, just to add on to that, a good example of that is, um, like I shared, I, I go into the prisons and there is no greater gift than that of reflection. There, there really isn't. Mm-hmm. And that really goes hand in hand with an inventory. And one of the things that's so encouraging for me um, with the opportunity to go into these prisons is these people have had time to reflect. They've had time to take an inventory. And if you can get somebody at that point or to that point, it changes their entire life. It changes their entire life because we, want, we run through things through a different filter. And, 
you know, I, I mean, I've been married for 28 years and I can tell you that my husband is a thinker and he doesn't do anything fast. He's like, you are not rushing me into this. And I've learned so much from that because he has the ability to reflect and think it through and look at all of the consequences and uh, the options. And so I think, I, and I do believe that, that, that God gives us that opportunity in his word. Because if we really read through some of these things, it quiets down some, some questions and it, gives, it, it fortifies those things in us that need to be fortified. So, yeah, I think it all intertwines and really makes for a very positive way to look at life. Very good. Cool. Well, um, John, do you have anything else? No, I'm good. Lisa, mm-hmm. any final thoughts? You want to give a shout out to your kid? No, just kidding. I just like <laughs> So, uh, Lisa's son and I share a love of pro wrestling, so I, I favor him. <laughs> and I've spent a lot of time with Steven, too. And I, you did an amazing job with, I'm sure you did with your older daughter, too. I just don't know her like I do Steven, but... I just love that guy. He's a good you guys dude. did an awesome, awesome job with him. He is a good, good guy. And you know, I, I do want to say something. You know, when when I um, when I look at those two kids, what a gift God has given me. And they're in college. We've been through the terrible twos and the, in and out of the hospitals. And what a gift the Lord gave me. And I can tell you that I wouldn't give them up for anything. So, yeah, I, I thank you for mentioning them. They're the light of my life. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, everyone, um, for joining us um, in this, the last of our three-part series. I'm sure we will continue conversations as they are um, important conversations to have. Um, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, quips, quotes, um, you can email them to um, us at staycurious at hillcityrva.com. Um, again, that's stay curious at hillcityrva.com. Please rate and review our podcast and share it. Um, please share it because the whole point of this podcast is to share different perspectives on different issues. And if you just um, are on social media or wherever and click that share button, it helps us achieve that goal. So thanks to everybody for joining us and we will see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.